great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard. I can't imagine any scenario where they ran a playoff with fans. I think they would have to be just a television uh, situation, you know, because they would have to do it sooner than later. And I don't think the world is ready to put 20,000 people in a hockey rink right now, you know. So I think if they did it, it would have to be more of a TV event, probably be in a fairly closed uh, environment and uh, something like that. That would be my guess anyway. <laughs> Hello there, and welcome to Sports and More, the podcast, episode 41. That was NHL agent Jerry Johansson speaking about uh, the future of the NHL season. And um, we do not know a whole lot about what's going on with the NHL season, um, other than that they have contingency plans. There are some leagues that are looking at May. Um Personally, I think that's a little early, but uh, we'll see. If we can get uh, ahead and flatten this curve, uh, then all the power to them. My name is Dean Millard, by the way, and uh, this is a show where almost anything goes. Uh, The only two things we really stay away from are uh, politics and religion. Uh, Politics, most of the time, religion, all the time. And we are coming to you from The Marsh in Podcast Alley, if you are watching on uh, YouTube or our various streams on social media. So uh, really excited to uh, bring you uh, today's program with uh, NHL agent uh, Jerry Johansson. And here is the lineup. And if you're watching, I've got uh, the Jays and Braves 92 World Series. Uh, I think this is game two going on on the uh, right screen. Left screen, I got the uh, Bruins Canadians 19 19- 79 Adams division final uh man those Montreal Canadiens teams were absolutely dominant so we're going to talk with Jerry Johansson about uh, you know being an agent from home right now uh thoughts from NHL players yeah uh, the impact on contracts or free agencies if the season gets wiped out uh, the draft etc life as an NHL agent uh from an NHL agent and what it's like for him on draft and deadline day uh, with a bunch of his clients, GMs, and uh, so much more. Our top three today is best or worst NHL contracts. And our poll question, uh, both of those brought to you by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports, is about uh, a defenseman pairing that you would have if you were an NHL rookie. We'll give you some choices in uh, just a, a little bit. So that's what we have Going down for you, so let's get into our top three, which is brought to you by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. Fantasy sports are great. They really are. I'm I'm in a lot of different fantasy leagues, but now with Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports, it is realistic, more realistic than ever, man. It is out of this world. You will own one one of only 31 professional fantasy hockey franchises in the world. You have a 23-man roster with a 27-player reserve list, the stockpile. Of course, you have daily roster moves, a really cool, unique playoff format. Most fantasy leagues uh, don't get to the playoffs of the NHL. This one does, and there's a a draft uh, before the playoffs. It's so, so cool. 
And these aren't just players, they're digital assets. You use digital currency to buy and sell players. That's right. They are um, assets that you can uh, purchase as prospects from scouts, which is another cool thing that they have, uh, this scouting program, uh, or you can sell them and uh, include them in trades and make uh, money that way. You can also make money by winning the league, which I was hoping to do. I was in a playoff position when, unfortunately, uh, they ended the season. Now, there's only a few franchises left, so get your own by bidding right now at www.airauctioneer.com slash UFF Sports dash NHL dash fantasy dash franchise dash auction. If you're watching, it's right there on the screen. And uh, just skip back if you need to get that one more time. You just have to open your free account at Air Auctioneer, make your bid, and you'll be notified if you are outbid. The cool thing in this format is that you own the game. You own these players as digital assets. So get in the game with Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. So our uh, top three is the best or worst contracts in NHL history. Want to know your top three best or worst contracts in uh, NHL history? Uh, George B. on Twitter says, the one that comes to mind is Rick DiPietro. His contract uh, announced in 06 uh, continues till 2029. Uh, Brian Schoenwill says, uh, three of the worst. Uh, number one, Yashin, 10 years, 87.5 million. Two, Mike Richards, 12 years, 69 million. Bought out after four years on the books till 2031. And, and the Briz, nine years, 51 million. Bought out after two years, leaving Philly to pay him 23 million over 14 years. Uh, yikes, there were some bad contracts uh, for sure. So uh, my list is, uh, there's going to be some names that uh, were on that one as well. Uh, my honorable mention is Jeff Finger. The four-year deal that he signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs for 14 million. He had played less than 100 games in the NHL, played just 105 uh, with the Leafs. And there was all kinds of mentions that um, uh, Cliff, uh, Cliff Fletcher then uh, for the Leafs thought uh, he was signing uh, Kurt Sauer instead of Jeff Finger. And yeah, everybody was uh, pretty surprised by that one. David Clarkson is an interesting one. Seven years, 36.75 million. 75% of it was guaranteed in signing bonus equals basically being buyout proof. He only played 118 games with the Leafs. Uh, he had uh, one season of 32 goals, and that was pretty much it uh, before he signed the contract. And I remember the Edmonton Oilers really tried to sign David Clarkson, and Craig McTavish came in um, for his um, you know news, news avail availability that day on free agency and I was there for global sports and he was really, he's like, you know, this is the one, this hurts one. This one got away. Well, you dodged a bullet with that one. Um, uh, because Clarkson, um, never lived up to that contract. The Briz number two for me, nine years, 51 million bought out after two years. And as mentioned, has uh, $23 million over 14 years owing. And Rick DiPietro takes the cake 15 year contract, which is just insane for anybody to get a 15 year contract. $67 million. It was then bought out. He has paid a million and a half per year until 2029. It's like the Bobby Bonilla. Every July 1st, Bobby Bonilla gets more money from the Mets. Same with Di Pietro. Till 2029, he gets a million and a half. He's getting it for another nine years. Uh, pretty amazing stuff uh, for sure. Uh, good for him. 
Uh, anyway, um, he was doing a uh, radio show in New York, and uh, his, he was Humpty because he was hurt so often. His nickname was Humpty Dumpty, which I found uh, quite funny. So send me your top three at Duck Millard on Twitter and get more details about Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports at uffsports.com, where you own the game. And quickly at Podcast Alley, uh, we will have one-timers with uh, Jerry Johansson, uh, NHL agent, who we're going to speak to right away. And we also have at the pod, uh, Cannabis 101 podcast, uh, one-hitters, and our interview with Hart Steinfeld of Sundial Cannabis. So you can check that all out at uh, www.podcastalley.ca. All right, uh, let's get to know our guest today, NHL agent Jerry Johansson with the bio. Time for the bio. Jerry Johansson was born in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan, and as the son of a police officer, moved around a bit before settling in Swift Current and graduating high school in 1984. He was taken in the 84 draft by the Montreal Canadiens and played NCAA hockey at Lake Superior State University for one season before joining the new Westminster Bruins. After his playing career, he worked as an assistant GM and assistant coach with the Tri-City Americans of the Western Hockey League for six years before joining the Sports Corporation Agency in Edmonton with Rich Winter in 1993. In 2012, he purchased the agency outright and now serves as the president and CEO with clients such as Carey Price, Ryan Getzlaff, Colton Pareko, and Braden Point, to name just a few. According to the website Puckpedia.com, Johansson has the sixth most active contracts, totaling more than $450 million. Jerry, it is great to welcome you to uh, Sports and More, the podcast in uh, what is certainly uh, strange times. Uh, uh, you and I are a bit of neighbors, but we have to do this over the phone because we're all doing our our part at uh, physical and social distancing. How is life for you right now? Well, it's been good, actually. I mean, it's been quiet. Um, I travel a lot, so it's actually nice to spend some time at home. Uh I'm not sure my wife is not getting sick of me right now, but uh, but I do get to the office. It's pretty quiet down there, but it's been nice actually to sort of settle down and just hunker down for a while. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a weird uh, sort of uh, time right now that it is giving a lot of us that opportunity to um, you know stay home, spend time with the family, slow down a little bit, and you know I don't I don't want to do this for a long time, but it's not the worst thing in the world to be forced to take a little bit of a break every now and then. No, Dean, you're right. It's just crazy how busy everybody is all the time. You're just running around, it seems. And uh, I mean, I know some people are really suffering uh, during this time. It's tough for, for a lot of people. But, you know, selfishly for me, it's, uh, you know, it's a little tough in the hockey world moving forward. But for sure to be, you know, spend time with your family and sort of settle down a little bit and not rush around all the time, it's probably good for us. Yeah, what is uh, unfortunately not good is, uh, you know, what what's happened to uh, our business. Uh, your, your business as an NHL agent has kind of grinded to a, a bit of a halt right now. What do you think as far as an NHL future for this season? Um, if you had to put a percentage on it, what do you think it would be? 
Well, I mean, if I'm, I'm an optimist by nature, so I'd say 50-50. You know, I think that, uh, I do think that the league has, you know, sort of plans, contingency plans, if, if, if news turns positive, to try and have some sort of uh, end of the season playoff type format. Uh, but like any, anybody in any business, I think you're, you're hoping for something, but you're, you know, you're at the mercy of the gods, as they say, you know, you're waiting for this whole world to sort of get a handle on this uh, virus. So I think they have plans on it. I think they'd like to do something. Uh, but I, I think the priority for them is going to be to have a full season next year and make sure that that whole season has, you know, is off and running. Is that the right um, you know, priority to have uh, to, to make sure that next season is taken care of. I know we all want a Stanley Cup playoff because it's, uh, you know, within sight right now. Um, you know, this is the time we would be watching the playoffs, but is that the right move to make sure next year is the priority? Well, I think they look to themselves to at least have a plan for one, you know, and whether it's practical or whether it's doable or whether it's even something that ultimately they want to do. You know, I think it's smart to have a plan just in case, um, you know, and, uh, but, but, you know, it's such an odd time, you know, if you were going to do it, it would certainly be unorthodox. It wouldn't be seven game series, as I can tell you that. So it would be something interesting and different. Uh, and of course, in sports, everybody's pretty traditional with how, how things are. So it would be, it would be different, but I think it's smart for them to have a, have a plan at least. Yeah, I think certainly, I, I'd imagine anyway, that there are, uh, you know, contingency plans as you get closer to each date. And then, okay, we're past that date, so we got to scrap that one and, and move on to the next one. I'm, I'm sure every professional league has those situations right now. Um, you know, you, you're talking to your clients. What are your play? What are the players thinking right now as far as, you know, what they want to do? Well, I think, I think it's just the great unknown. So nobody really knows. And I think, you know, depending on what they ask a guy, I think it could, you could get a different answer, but, but generally speaking, I mean, hockey players are built to play hockey. They like to play. So I think if you actually said, okay, we're going to start a playoff now, I think the guys would jump into gear in two seconds. I think they'd be ready to go, but you know how it's no different than how people respond to this situation. Some people are scared and, and negative. Some people are more positive and not so worried. I think the players are similar to that when they when they think about you know the, the near term for future of of, of hockey and in finishing the season. I think you sort of have it's all over the map a little bit. Well, the worst thing that you could do is start the league up again and have something happen with an outbreak again, um, because then you're putting so many more people. So, like they, if if I'm just using this as an example, let's say they say May fifteenth is the date. Uh, where you think you can do it, you you might want to wait until May thirtieth or something like that. It's almost like you just you have to plan for the worst case scenarios because we could be facing them right now. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I I I can't imagine any scenario where they ran a playoff with fans. I think they would have to be just a television uh, situation, you know, because they would have to do it sooner than later. And I don't think the world is ready to put. 20,000 people in a hockey rink right now, you know, so I think if they did it, it would have to be more of a TV event, probably be in a fairly closed uh, environment and uh, something like that. That'd be my guess anyway. Uh, that would be uh, that would be a, a strange animal to be watching the Stanley Cup playoffs with no crowd. Uh, you know, if that's the only way we could get it, watching on TV, the hockey will still be the same. It will just sound so much differently, wouldn't it? 
it's like a laugh track on those, uh, on those yeah. comedy shows. You'd have to have a fake crowd in the background or something. But uh, yeah. I mean, it would be out of the box if they did it. It would certainly be, you know, uh, different. Uh, and whether they, you know, it's one thing to plan. It's another thing to actually execute it. So, you know, we're probably a long way from the plan on paper and actually doing it, even if you're able to do it, would they do it? I think that that's probably two separate discussions. So, um, there's a lot of people that think that this is just not going to happen. We're just not going to have uh, a Stanley Cup champion um, this season. I hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, but but if it does, what are the contingency plans for you know bonus structures in in contracts? Because you know there were players that were on pace to hit some of those bonuses. You know, do you know uh, as an agent and have you guys had these discussions about what happens in that situation? Well, there's two, two things, two parts to that. You know, number one is most players don't have performance bonuses. So the only players eligible for performance bonuses these days with the new CBA is our entry-level players or uh, players like over 35 or who have come off long-term injury. So it's actually a really small number of guys that actually have bonuses. And the playoffs, frankly, the players don't get paid for the playoffs. I mean, they receive... Uh, some bonus money, but not nothing, nothing, uh, you know, comparative to what they make during the year. So more or less the players play for free, uh, you know, during the, during the playoffs anyway. Um, and then, you know, but where, where it gets tricky is, you know, because the season ended shortly, this can affect waivers. It can affect salary arbitration. It can, you know, your days of playing in the NHL. So there are, I think they're already starting to work on sort of a a transition rules on how that would affect players uh, in different ways, but that's more into the middle of the CBA, not really on the ice stuff. Okay. So the, there would be the the minority of the players would be affected by uh, any kind of performance bonuses. Uh, You know, I'm just using McDavid as an example. If he had a, a clause in his contract of, 100 points. I don't know uh, about that, but the, the list would be small. The bigger concern you're talking about is like like t- uh, term time uh, in the league uh, as far as waivers. If a guy doesn't reach a certain amount and he could have, is that is that where you're going with that? Yeah, there's different different rules like that would affect way more players. But really, Connor McDavid doesn't have a, a point bonus in his contract. So, and in the playoffs, there's no bonuses. Right. So, if you did a quasi playoff of some sort, it wouldn't really affect anybody. Uh, all of the stuff that would affect players is really, you know, sort of in the back pages of, uh, of our agreement with the NHL. And it, it's been worked on before. They've done it, these transition rules uh, during lockouts and things like that, where they, they've come up with it. So they've done it before. It'll affect more players, but not in any way, unless you were the player or his family or his agent, you wouldn't even know. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's interesting. I was, and, and this is, uh, I know you're a hockey agent, but I was looking at Major League Baseball. If they were to scrap the season, I wonder what would happen to a guy like Mookie Betts, who was just traded to the Dodgers and, and is going to be a, a free agent. Um, but that's not a situation that hockey is looking at because, you know, we've completed, uh, you know, most of the season. So um, the, the only thing that they would miss out on is that, I guess, the playoff money for, uh, for, for winning at the, at the end of it. Yeah, hundred percent, exactly, and that, and that. I mean, I can tell you, that none of the guys going to play in the playoffs for the money. <laughs> yeah. It's not. I don't even. I'd be asked most players. They wouldn't. Even, they couldn't tell you what they get for playoff bonuses. They wouldn't even know, probably. You know, but if you did have a playoff at some point, it would affect like the July one deadline because mm-hmm. you'd have to obviously move that 
you know, there'd be salary arbitration things, different things like that, that would, would interfere with a, a late playoff. So, you know, I'm sure they could figure it out if they put their minds to it. The, yeah, the, that playoff money is interesting. It was a big deal at one point uh, for players and when, when salaries uh, weren't what they are now. But, uh, you know, with the salaries they're making, you're right, uh, it's, it's probably a, a drop in the bucket. But you do bring up a good point, Jerry, and that's free agency. Um, you know, I, I know we don't want to think about it, but there always is contingency plans. Are there target dates for for when free agency would would happen if the season is going past July first? I mean, I saw there was a report on on TSN that was uh, I think it was Pierre LeBron or Darren Dreger who said from the players' perspective they wanted to go right through and have free agency in October. Now this was some players. I'm not saying all of them, but that has to be a, a bit of a moving target right now of when your uh, players will become free agents. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, we, I mean, right now we're all planning on just the regular dates, but for sure, if you had, uh, if you did have a, you know, an extended season with a late playoff, all of those dates would have to be shuffled for sure. Cause you could, you know, it'd be hard to have the free agency on July 1st and you're still playing in the playoffs at the end of July. That'd be a little difficult. So, <laughs> you know, I think they'd have to, they, there would be some tweaking to say the least, uh, to the rule book and the dates for sure. So are are is is there, are the players like all of us right now just in a big uh, unknown? I know uh, you know as many as as they can are are working out, but you know what's the what's the mindset for for the player right now? Because you know these guys are uh, they're thoroughbreds, man. They're Ferraris, and you just don't just uh, turn the key and 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 go. You got to you know work up to something. How are they handling it? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think. Braden Point has it figured out. He's got a pool and he's living in Florida right now. So I think he's probably, you know, in pretty good shape. But but you're right, Dean. It's These guys are creatures of habit. It's funny. Like, we, I notice it in the summer a lot. Like, by the time early August starts to hit, the guys are just ready to go. Like, they're sick of training and they want they're, they don't want to golf anymore. They want to go play hockey. And uh, no different than the end of the year. You know, you have your exit meeting. You say goodbye to the guys, you pack up your bag and you leave. And, and none of that's happened. You know, the, it just sort of ended. And so it is a shock to their system because they've been more or less on the same schedule since they were kids playing, you know, at a, more or less a, a very similar schedule. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a different world for them. Are you, uh, are you talking to players more now than you normally would or less? Uh, probably about the same. I, I think generally during the season, we're talking to them, you know, sort of based on what's going on in their world, you know, uh, based on their hockey and their schedule. And now we're just sort of checking in. And uh, and frankly, everybody is doing the same thing as we are. We're just They're just basically hunkered down at home with their families. So, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, what we're talking about, what might happen or what you heard here, heard there. But, uh, but really, there's not a lot of specifics to discuss with them. So we're just checking in and make sure they're okay. And, uh, yeah, it, it, as you mentioned, it must be strange for them because uh, this is the, the time everybody gears up for and, and we're all shut down. But, you know, the, the guys that are, like you said, Braden Point has a pool. And, you know, whether you're bench pressing your dog or you're working out in your own gym, you have to be ready um, um, to be able to ramp it up, you know, I, I guess now it's kind of just maintaining because you don't want to ramp up too early. Exactly. And I think these guys are all pretty smart and you know what they are. They're all great athletes now. I mean, it's all these guys are, are, you know, tip top shape. So I have a hard time thinking any of them would be out of shape, but it goes to another thing. If you did have a, a playoff, you'd have to have a training camp of some sort. 
because the guys aren't skating. So I don't think they get out of condition, but you certainly need a couple of weeks to get the guys back up to speed on the ice for sure. You know, because they no matter even in a, even in the optimistic scenario, they would have been off the ice for months. Right. You know, so you know you'd have to have some sort of training camp and then a playoff, and then that would lead right into the start of the season again. So. <laughs> Whether that's doable or not, it would certainly be strange. Do you have, like, I think, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I don't, I don't think a seven game series is going to happen if there is a playoff. Um, do you have a preference? Uh, you know, we had a poll question last week one game, three games, five games, or, or no cup. Um, people, some people just want 16 wins or bust. What would be your preference? Um, if, and, and, and would you like to see expanded teams this year because it's been so strange because they didn't get to finish the season. Do you have a preference of what you'd like to see other than seven games? Well, I think if you're going to, I mean, the only thing is if you're going to do it different, you might as well really do it different. You know what I mean? It's not going to be the same no matter what you do. So you might as well try something a little out of the box, you know? And, and so, yeah, I think if you expanded it a little bit, um, you know, certainly teams like, you know, Chicago and Montreal and New York Rangers were close. So they could probably get into some sort of play, play in scenario. Um, and, uh, you know, probably look more like an NCAA bracket than a seven game grind, uh, that is normally the playoffs. But, you know, I think if you did decide to go forward, I think the, you know, it's going to be so unorthodox, you might as well embrace it and just try everything you can because it's going to be different. And who knows, maybe something in that might work that you implement moving forward, you know, whether it's extra TV cameras and just more, more interactive stuff with the players or whatever. But just to really, if you're going to do it, you might as well, if you're going to try something and now would be the time if, if we got back on the ice. Well, you know what? It, it, you bring up such a good point in that I never really kind of grabbed onto is that it's different anyway. The, the playoffs should have started, um, you know, in tomorrow, I think was the, uh, uh, the date that they were going to start, but this is this is different. So why not? And you know what? I I know purists would hate it, Jerry, but I can't imagine what a one game uh, like a NCAA basketball style format with uh, however many teams you had. How, just if if you were ever going to do it for one year, this would be the year. I can't imagine the intensity of every one of those games. What they would be like. I know it won't happen, but I'm just I'm just thinking pie in the sky. I agree with you, Dean. I mean, it would be an asterisk besides the cup winner anyway. Yeah. Yep. You know, it would be, it would always be considered to be not necessarily a real Stanley Cup, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, if you're going to try it different, just embrace it and run with it. And, uh, and if you do that, maybe there's something that you try that works, some part of it that works that you implement moving forward that maybe is really entertaining. Like, uh, like the outdoor game was sort of out of the box thinking mm-hmm. for the first one, and that's become a pretty cool event. So I'm sure there's something you could try that would probably stick. Uh, you know, in terms of, of how you shot it or, or how you, you know, um, interacted with the players during the game or who knows what, but all that stuff. Well, in, in bigger picture, normal season, would you be in favor of uh, play-in games, uh, almost wild card games? Major League Baseball has found success with it. Now, albeit they have much less teams than, than the NHL in the playoffs, but would you be in favor of uh, the the ninth place team and the eighth place team uh, playing off to get into the playoffs of each conference? Well, I would say, you know, I actually, I kind of in favor of that because it's just so tight. Like most years, you know, as we all know, there's like, it's, it's, you know, there's no such thing as a safe lead. So there's so many competitive teams, um, you know, largely it's momentum. If you get a little momentum at the right time of year, 
you know, it can make a big difference, you know, no different than St. Louis last year. So I think the more, more opportunity you have teams have a fighting chance at it, I think it's, I think it would be a good thing. So I'd be in favor of that for sure. Um, okay, I want to chat uh, a little bit about uh, how you became uh, an agent. And, uh, uh, you know, for, for people that, uh, you know, don't know, we mentioned it in the bio, but uh, you were a draft pick of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, your favorite te- team, uh, one of your favorite teams growing up. Um, you played some hockey, uh, some NCAA. Um, what was the transition to becoming an agent like for you? Well, actually, you know, I was, I was, uh, before I, I didn't even think to become an agent. It didn't even cross my mind, actually. I even, I had an agent. I still didn't even consider it, but I was working, uh, in, with New Westminster Bruins had moved to the Tri Cities area. So they became the Tri City Americans. And I went down and was working there for five or six years. And what I was really good at was recruiting. So I was out recruiting players. In those days, you could just bring players in. You didn't have a draft. And, you know, if a player in Boston wanted to come play for Tri-City Americans, he could. So I was at one point traveling all over recruiting players to play junior hockey. And um, uh, when I left uh, uh, um, Tri-Cities, my my good friend and business partner, Scott Bonner, introduced me to Rich Winter, uh, who was... uh, had a fairly established, well, a real established agent here, right in Edmonton, and he was he. But his client list was Czechoslovaks. Uh, he had Dominic Hasek and Peter mm-hmm. Bondra, and you know a bunch of guys. But he didn't have any Western Canadian guys. So my first day on the job, I think I drove to Fort McMurray and met with Chris Phillips. Nice. So as he was a young guy then, I didn't get him, but uh, but I basically knew where all the hockey players were. So it was an easy transition for me. I basically hit the ground running. Um, and it sort of worked out from there. Uh, that's awesome. I, I often tell, uh, ask, uh, guys, um, you know, I had uh, Colby Armstrong on last week about, you know, maybe their first goal or something like that. Um, Jeff Rogers, I asked him about his first fight. So, uh, your first client, your first client that you, uh, that you landed, that you, uh, you know, brought in, what was that like for you and, and who was it? Well, I, I, you know what, it's funny. Cause I think my first year, I probably ended up with 25 players. Wow. You know, because it was just, it was, I, you know, I knew I had a lot of contacts. I sort of knew everybody, but I think as I recall, my first player that was drafted and signed a contract or at least was drafted was a guy named Michael Grady. I wonder what he's doing these days. If he's, if he hears this, he should call me, but I haven't changed my number, <laughs> but yeah, it's just been, it's, you know, in our business, you never really know, uh, you know, what you have. It, time goes by and all of a sudden, you know, I have Kerry Price. He's a great guy, nice family, really good player, but you don't expect him to be maybe one of the all-time great goalies. You know, you're not surprised when they are, but you're, you don't count on that. Right. So it's probably the most fun part of our business is watching our players, you know, develop like, you know, a Brandon Gallagher or Braden Point or Ryan Getzoff or Colton Brakel. You know, we've got lots of stories like that, that, uh, you know, that you're just, you're, it's fun to be part of that. Yeah, I, I think that's really cool. I mean, you know, you look at Carey Price and he was, uh, you know, obviously a very highly touted goaltender. Uh, and then the, the other side is the Colton Pareko, who was a late bloomer. Um, so, you, you know, as an agent, you can't just be like, I'm only taking first round guys or I'm only looking at, uh, you know, uh, late bloomers. You, you have to cast a bit of a, a wide net. Yeah, you do. And you, and you have to have a good network of people to help you make sure you know what's going on. And I, like I said, if you come to our office, all of our pro players are on the wall. And for sure, Dean, it's happened 50-50. You know, I'm looking at Braden Coburn in my office right now. But he was a first overall Bantam draft pick. 
you know, he was a first round NHL draft pick. He's had a really good career. Um, you know, but then you look at Colton Braco, uh, very similar kind of player, but the, like, he was nowhere at 16 or even 17. You know, he got a trial before McMurray and we were high fiving, you know, so it's just different. And, uh, you know, so you never underestimate a player's upside, you know, because they're growing and they're getting smarter and they, they get opportunity at different times. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just that, it, that's just the process. It's, uh, but it is the fun part in hindsight, especially. No doubt. We we saw Tom Cruise portray an agent uh, in, in a very famous Hollywood movie. Um, and it kind of portrayed the uh, the agent business as, as cutthroat. That was NFL. But um, is it more friendly than that? Uh, well, I'll just put it this way. I'd rather be Bob Sugar than Jerry <laughs> Maguire. If that makes any yeah, sense. Okay, but yeah. it, it, you know what? It's not, I, wouldn't, I mean, it's collegial. Like, we're all, it's hockey. So you're all, I can't really speak to other sports, but you know, I mean, I know all our competitors, more or less, there's always new guys that come in you're not that familiar with, but, you know, you're in a pretty, it's a pretty tight circle, so I would say it's pretty collegial in terms of how we get along, but it's super competitive. Like, you know, you have to do a good job, and, you know, ultimately players can work with whoever they want, so you never really own a player like in a draft scenario where a team drafts you, even in the Bantam draft, they can draft you, you don't have to agree they could just draft you and then they frankly they own your rights Mm -hmm. and in our business the only way we keep a player is to do a good job for them so it's competitive but uh you know i i think it's it's also the fun part of our business if you if you do a good job then you'll be rewarded and if you don't then someone else might take your player but that's the way it should be that that's right um with that in mind um, was there a, a one particular client that, you know, you, you worked really hard, like the, the hardest client that you had to land or, or something like that? Is there one that maybe uh, sticks out more than others? No, nah, you know, it's funny. I, 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 you know, it's, it's a lot of work. You're traveling a lot and it's, you're dealing with people. So those are sort of the foundation parts of our business. But, you know, in terms of, uh, especially as I, and I had a lot of success early in this business and I sort of realized that it's more just a, a camera. It's a relationship business. So you either have a relationship with the player or you don't. And in, you know, especially in hindsight, I can see that that generally happens sooner than later. So if I look back on it, you know, the guys that we ended up with we generally seem to be the right person at the right time for that player and other guys who we missed, maybe we were just, too late or we just weren't in that circle or whatever, you know, so it's, um, you know, I, I you know, it, you know, we work hard for our guys, but I have never really had it, you know, really hustle for a player. There's been a couple of times where it's been competitive. So you just do that part, but mm. you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's just been more of a, it seems more like a natural progression. If you do, if you know what you're doing, then certainly you get the players you should get, I guess. Well, it, it, it's almost like uh, you, you just can't let the players that, that sign with somebody else, you just have to be like, okay, move on. And you, you can't really dwell on it because you have current clients and, you know, there's there's always new players coming in. So you kind of have, you, you can't dwell on the players that you don't sign, I guess. That's exactly right, team. 100%. You, go, you get the players you get and, and you never know. Like, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, if people knew the drafts, they would only have to be one or two rounds because you just, that's all the players right. you would need. But I mean, the best scouts in the world are wrong way more than they're right. You know, so it's, you know, there is a, a there, there's a, a sort of an element. I mean, these, all these young guys are growing and developing and there's lots happening with them. And so a kid like Colton Brako, who just blossoms into a super 
player or Brendan Gallagher yeah. or Braden Point. You know, guys you wouldn't have and we wouldn't expect at a certain age to be good all of a sudden become great. And there's just as many or more stories of guys you thought would be great at a young age and they just never quite got their feet under them mm-hmm. and sort of leveled off. But uh, yeah, that's the, that's the competitive world of sports. Well, and, and, you know, um, convincing an NHL player to become your client is just the first step. Then you get to start negotiating contracts and, and, you know, that's just the, the, the beginning of getting the player. And now you have to represent them, um, past or present toughest GM you've had to negotiate with. Well, you know, I would say, uh, you know, you know, it, in our, I think in our business, we generally have good rapport with everybody. So I don't think you necessarily have tough GMs. I think you have tough situations. Okay. You know, so I think it's more about a, a player with a certain expectation uh, combined with a certain club and a certain scenario and a certain reality. <laughs> and you mix all that into a pot and you get a really tough scenario, you know, and I think that's more common, uh, you know, but the GMs, I mean, I mean, we understand what they're trying to do. So I think as long as you, you know, know what the team's objective is and, and we get paid to do that, you know, to know that stuff, you know, we're generally, we get past first and second base pretty quick and we're, you know, cause we understand what they can do, what they can't do. You know, it, it's a, a bit of a rookie agent move is you sort of overmanage your player and think you're, you know, going to hit a home run every time you're up at the plate and that just isn't real. You know, it's just, you know, we get a lot of, we get some home runs, but we hit a lot of singles too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I think if you, you know, if you understand your team you're dealing with and the, and the realities that they're dealing with, you can avoid a lot of that conflict. We always hear players, uh, you know, in, in a, a contract year, if, if you will, um, say, oh, I'm just leaving that up, uh, uh, to my agent. Um, so that's, that's when, when you're kicking in and, um, you know, does it, um, is it several, like, I guess every situation is different, but I'd imagine it's not just one meeting that you're, that you're, you're having it's, uh, um, you know, hundreds of phone calls and then you maybe get to meet, I'm, I'm, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's a that's a good line for a player to say. It's a really smart thing. We yeah. encourage our guys to say that. But we probably spend eighty percent of our time talking to our client and twenty percent of our time talking to the team hmm. during a contract negotiation. The biggest thing is to educate your player to know what's what. You know, because everybody has different expectations. You know, everybody has a little bit of a different reality when they look at something. And so, our job is to make sure uh, the player and their core group it could be their family or their wife or whatever are all on the same page and that we when we go into a negotiation it's important to be prepared and make sure our player understands what the reality of his situation is and then if we've done that work then the next step of of, of finishing up a contract or getting one done is a lot easier uh because we're sort of cutting to the chase but you don't really want your player to figure it all out as you're negotiating the contract you sort of want to get that part done first and then go forward with the deal. And I imagine at one point um, it was pretty much just agent talking with player um, and things have evolved now. And, you know, especially when you're dealing with young players, you're dealing with that family as far as the parent uh, parents, uh, things like that. And then as the, uh, the player gets to uh, maybe another level in the NHL, uh, you're, you're involving the, a different kind of a family, wife, kids, things like that. So, um, I, I'd imagine, um, negotiations and things like that have changed over time as, as family life becomes, um, you know, more, sometimes more important than hockey life. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Cause 
you got to think of it too. It's not a, you know, you think of a contract, it's just like a piece of paper that, you know, okay, here's what I'm getting paid. But really it reflects that player's entire life. So there's a lot that goes into it that's not just about money or about term or about those things. There's a lot of other things that go into it, you know. So you really have to make sure that, because uh, unlike most businesses where the business is sort of separate from even me, my company is a little bit different than me personally, but these these athletes, they are their company. There's no separating the two, you know. So it's, uh, you know, it's pretty personal. So you have to make sure that their inner circle, which is pretty tight, uh, no matter what. And you're right. It's parents. It's a best buddy. It's a, it's a, maybe a teammate that, that mm-hmm. that's an influencer or a wife or whatever. It's, um, you know, family, kids, the whole nine yards. So it's really important that, that, that's, a, it's a very inclusive process that, because really, uh, you know, it's, it's their life and their family that we're really representing. Are there package deals? Uh, like, is there ever a situation where two guys are like, Hey, we want to play together. Let's, you know, do this to your clients. Is that, does that ever happen? Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think it's happened sort of in, in, uh, you know, in theory, I think that it's really important though when you're in those situations that each player has their own business and has right. to take care of themselves, you know? And so, we're always pitching GMs on all sorts of crazy ideas, you know, <laughs> and they listen to us. I fully expect that they might actually listen to us 10% of the time, but we got lots of ideas for them. So, you know, I'm sure if you were a GM, listen to every crazy agent in the world. You have lots of stories to tell. But, yeah, I mean, again, it's uh, those are a little hard to pull off because players, you know, everything's a moving target. How old they are, where they're at, what their team's doing, what other team's doing. So, Deals like that are tricky to pull off, but uh, I'm sure it's been done. I've never really done one like that, but um, I'm sure it's happened a handful of times over the years. Um, all right, so it, it, this is a really, um, you know, a people person. Uh, so so a lot of people thought at one point, uh, you know, had to be a lawyer uh, to become an agent. But I think the biggest, you know, I'm not saying it, it doesn't help, but I think the biggest thing it seems to me is having people skills uh, to, to, to be an agent, being able to, uh, you know, gain people's trust and, and provide uh, a service. Um, so kind of take us through how you land an agent. Is it just hanging out in rinks? Yeah, well, basically, I mean, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to meet, you have to get the player first. I mean, otherwise, you could be the best agent in the world. And if you have no players, I don't think it really counts, you mm-hmm. know? So, and no different than if you have a bunch of players that don't know what you're doing, you're not going to last very long. So it's a combination. I mean, really, what it is, I mean, hockey is a pretty closed circle. Like, if you go to the draft every year in the NHL, it's funny because, you know, the entire NHL sits on the floor of the arena. Yeah. And um, it's almost embarrassing. If there's a new guy and there's literally about 1,500 people on the floor of the arena, if there's a new guy, everybody's looking, who's the new guy? <laughs> you know, so it's it's a pretty tight circle. So I think it's like anything. If you build a network and people trust you, and, and the only way you build trust is by doing a good job over time, um, then, you know, that's what our business is really about. So we don't really cold call players. Most of, I'd say, 90 nine percent of the players we get all come from some sort of referral uh like most businesses grow but that's really what it is and so it's also a really good way to grow your business because you know you're you're getting you know referrals from existing clients who are happy and it just sort of it's a it's a nice way to sort of you know you know grow the business so it's really about networking and 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 doing a good job i mean doing a good job for your your lesser players is probably as important as anything a lot of our good good players go to you know Canadian university or they go play in the east coast league so 
if you want to have integrity as a company, you do have to make sure you treat all your players. You can't treat them equally, but you can treat them all fairly. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. Uh, so an average day, um, how many players, th- assuming that the NHL is on <laughs> and we're not yeah. in uh, quarantine, but you know, how many players do you think you would talk to uh, in person? Because uh, I know you do travel a lot or, or on the phone in an average day, uh, I guess, before their games. Well, you know, probably texting is the biggest thing right okay, now. Yeah. So we watch, we were basically watching every, we don't watch every game, but we're, we're, you know, every night we're looking at every score in every league and we're checking in on our players. So, we, but you know, what we're looking for is, a, you know, some special performance or a player that didn't play or maybe got injured or, you know, we focusing on players that are struggling a little bit for whatever reason. So our attention, you know, when our players are playing great and their team's winning and we have very little to do. There, everything's great. It's generally when things are are are, are tricky. So maybe an injury, maybe a uh, you know uh, a player that's getting traded or might get traded, or you know a, a player that's trying to break into a lineup and is sort of in and out. You know, we have a tendency to spend a little bit more time focusing on those guys because if everything's going good on the ice, they're generally pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess same question for uh, NHL management personnel, because it's not always the GM uh, strictly that you talk to. I'm sure there's different people, but uh, you know, whether it's texting or chatting is, um, does that happen daily uh, with, with those types as well? Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's we're generally in touch with GMs. Like I've talked to a lot of GMs in this last three weeks, you know, and, and same thing, like some teams, it's funny, like, you know, we, I think we have five Montreal Canadians right now, you know, um, and zero San Jose Sharks. So <laughs> I would speak to Mark Bergevin, you know, uh, you know, more, more than I would, uh, you know, San Jose. So, you know, it, it go, it sort of ebbs and flows like that. Um, you know, you, you have a tendency to do business more with the teams where your players are, but then in the draft and, and the free agency, it sort of opens up again. So you're talking to everybody. So, it's, uh, you know, like it, 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 we're, we, we get to know the teams pretty well and the depth of their organization too. So you're talking to the GM, the assistant GM, the area scout, the head scout, you know, so it's the, it's the entire network and they're getting information from us and we're sharing information with them. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty balanced relationship actually. How about draft day? What is draft day like uh, for for an agent? Um, you know, I don't know how many guys you might have uh, at an average draft, but uh, what's that like for you? Well, it's a little bit like a contract negotiation. You spend a lot of time preparing your guys before the draft. That is critical. So, you know, because again, if it goes, you know, everybody wants to get drafted higher just from a a human nature perspective, sort of an ego perspective, including us. Yeah. But as you learn, you know, the draft is a very poor indicator of future success. Obviously more first round picks play than seventh round picks. But if you, and even the Western hockey league draft is a big deal for us. That's probably in some ways a bigger deal for us than the NHL draft, hmm. you know? So it's, uh, it's really just about the players understanding that, you know, there's two kinds of players, the guys that play and guys that don't how you get there. If you're going to be a player, really, do you care how you get there? If you're just Colton Preco care that he never got drafted into the Bantam draft, right? You know? Um, so does Dustin Penner care that he never got drafted in the NHL? You know, not really. So it's just a matter of making sure the players have a perspective and they don't get hitched to the wrong wagon. You know, like all of a sudden the draft is the indicator of their success. Well, it's not, you know, it could be part of it, but it certainly doesn't define the player. So, I think it's just important to keep all this stuff in perspective. 
Well, and I, and I think that's something, you know, when you're a 17 or 18 year old kid, um, it's hard to understand that I'd imagine. So, you know, we, we all know teenagers are, are, um, you know, changing with maturity and things like that. And, and, um, that, that might be a harder thing to, to get across. Now, some kids are, are much more mature, but, um, to them that draft is everything. So it's really important to try to get that message to them, isn't it? hundred percent and their families and their inner circle right and they're competitive so you know it, it, you can't be a hockey player if you're not competitive so right away you've got one you know sort of foot in the bucket because you want to do better and you know and the draft is also one of the few things that other people in your world can notice so you have your inner circle but then you have your uncles and your buddies and your beer drinking friends and all these other guys that don't really understand the process because they couldn't possibly understand the process. <laughs> um, so when a draft hits, it really does affect your sort of wider group. So if you get drafted high, it's like, hey, great job, way to go, that's awesome. And if you don't get drafted, everybody's like, what happened? Like, oh, it's too bad, I thought you were getting drafted. You know, So the players have to deal with a lot in terms of fallout you know, from these events good or bad you know and so the more educated they are to the reality of it the much better they're able to handle it and that's where we again by the time the draft hits we're just sitting there like everybody else our work is more or less done right so we you know if we've done our job right we've prepared them for the you know the the sort of the the question mark of it all you know uh, what what does it really mean and what doesn't it mean and what's important and what's not great point a third round draft pick it wasn't fun. We knew we should have went higher. Yep. Now, was it stressful sitting there for hours waiting for him to get picked? Sure. It would have been easier if he was the first overall pick. Yeah, it would have been a lot easier, you know. So, but but that's why we're part of the inner circle because we get it and and we've been through it and we're there to share that experience with the families and make sure they're prepared. Yeah, one of the uh, I, I remember talking to a, a scout and he said um, riding home from the draft uh, on the bus from the arena to the hotel in uh, I think it was Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, draft year 2011. And he said just mm-hmm. the, the sad look on all the faces of the kids that were riding on the bus that thought they were going to go uh, number one. And, and and like you said, Braden Point is just a perfect example. Colton Pareko, uh, same thing. And I guess you're uh, you're dealing with different things. Maybe you have a client that's uh, in contention to go first overall. So his expectations are different than a client that's a second to third round uh, prospect. So being an agent, you have to be a little bit flexible too. Oh, yeah. Success is relative to everybody. Yeah. Everybody sees it different, you know, and that's why each player is individual. You know, a lot of times on paper, it looks the same, like up two players will follow a similar career path, but I promise you that what, how they've dealt with it and how they've, you know, you know, sort of, uh, managed that process and adjusted to it, um, is completely different because it's so personal. You know, some guys are just low key guys. Some guys are a little more, uh, you know, stressed out guys. You know, some guys have, you know, a really balanced approach. Some guys, you know, are a little more, you know, excited about it or excitable, you know. So, you know, personality plays a lot into it. So, again, the better you know your player, the more trust you've built up and the better position you are to advise them. Because I tell guys all the time that, you know, hockey isn't the way you think it is. It's the way it is. And those can be two different things, you know, so you ain't changing the way it is because that's just the way it is. And how you think it is, that's probably the thing you want to work on to make sure you know what the process actually is about. 
So that's draft day, uh, which is, uh, you know, a different animal than some other things because, you know, the majority of your clients that are eligible for the draft are expecting to be drafted. Trade deadline is probably a different animal because not every one of your clients is expected to be traded. Um, I, I guess what's the lead up to trade deadline like and then the actual day? Yeah, that's, you know, it, well, it's kind of like, the truth is the trade deadline day, the port media, we, we keep in real close contact with media too. You know, there we're, we have quite the relationship too as well, sure. but, but you know, it's so anticlimactic because most of the deals that are done by the time July one hits or whatever the date is generally have already been done mostly, you know, so even in, and sort of the same, uh, you know, scenario applies for us that we generally know who our players are that are going to be, um, potentially moved. So, you know, we're not usually not surprised. I mean, there's the odd guy that could be a piece of a puzzle that Mm -hmm. you didn't see coming, but um, I always tell people trades are generally a good thing. Like it's a reset button. It's a way to like in the Western hockey trades are excellent because you can fix problems. You can readjust in the NCAA there's no trades. So once you make a commitment to that organization, you're there, you can red shirt, but that means sitting out of here. That's no fun. So trades are generally a, a nice little balance. And, and again, more often than not, like sort of 19 out of 20 times, we're pretty aware of our guys that are potentially going to be moved. So they are somewhat prepared for it. Is it, uh, uh, you know, I guess it depends on the player, but uh, some can be really nervous and anxious about it. And, and uh, others can be like, hey, say la vie, right? And, and I guess it depends on what situation they are in their career. Some guys want to get traded because they want to go to a, a contender. So uh, they could be nervous uh, to want to get traded. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's funny, the trades are sort of like such a part of the business that I think everybody accepts it. I think when it happens to you, it's always a shock. You know, I think it's because you literally um, are, I mean, I'm not, Jim, this is just literal. You're literally packing up your stuff and leaving more or less the same day. So, you know, you might've had plans to go for dinner with your neighbor, your kids had a hockey game in three days. You're shutting all of that down. You're packing up your stuff and you are leaving. And then you're basically your wife or someone in your family has to take care of everything else. So when you get traded, like you pack up and leave right away. So it's sort of a, you know, it's a shock just on that front. Uh, but I think also it's just an accepted part of the business. So as much as you might be shocked in the moment, I think all of our guys understand that's just a reality. Yeah, I, I, you're right. Uh, you know, maybe that first trade for a player is uh, kind of a little bit shocking, but, uh, you know, guys that are going to uh, contenders or, or whatnot are, uh, uh, you know, the, the, by that time, uh, it's happened so often in their career. I guess it's probably the young players that you have to spend a little bit more time with. Yeah, and it, it happens to everybody. Someone you know has been traded, and everybody in the room, somebody has been traded there or asked for trade, or, you know, so you might not happen to you. It doesn't happen very often, actually, but but you know it happens. So it's just something that, you know, you consider to be normal. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, when you're, you know, all of a sudden one minute you're a St. Louis Blue and the next minute you're a Boston Bruin, you know, that's a, that's a bit of a jolt to the system. I don't care who you are. Uh, is it an awkward <laughs> call to make to ask for a trade for your client? Yeah, that's a tricky, that's a whole other thing too. Again, which, you know, if you do your job right, you're never really asking for a trade. Generally trades are, have to be benefit for everybody, right? you know? So, you know, again, it's not always like this, but if you're, you know, if there's, if a player wants to be traded or a team wants to trade a player, 
there's usually a reason for it. And if it's uh, if it's a no good reason, we try to solve that issue internally from the player side at least. And you know, if it's a, if it's an actual issue, then usually the team is more willing to consider it. And so that's what you're trying to do at the end of the day is is try to make it work for everybody. I think that's a lot of what we do as, as agents too is we try to find a balance because our players are all looking for good situations, right? You know, and money's part of that, but there's a lot more to it than you might think in terms of you know you know, being a competitive athlete, you know, money's important, but there's, there's other things that are equally as important. Right. And, and you, you never have to, you know, can't burn a bridge because uh, you have no idea when your next client is going to be dealing with that GM. So uh, being civil with things is, you know, obviously, you know, people get emotional and heated at times, I'm sure, but um, you always have to remember when you're going to work with that person next again. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, it, it, it's a competitive game. So everybody's emotional. Like, I got a rule. You don't call a GM after a loss. I'll wait a week or two just so they win a game before I call them just because it's a lot easier phone call. So, <laughs> you know, and our players are emotional. The teams are emotional. Like, you know, it, 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 these guys are all invested heavily in this process. And, and you really respect that because that's what makes it exciting is that people aren't just doing a job. They're like, they're into it, you know? So, you know, you have to understand that element and, and manage it as well from both the team's end and the player's end. We get a few GMs calling us fired up about our players and, you know, we don't necessarily pass that message along, you know, until everybody's had a chance to take a time out and, right. and, and give it some more thought. So, you know, we're, we really are the in-between guys. Uh, yeah, you, you, you're kind of the mediator almost. Um, I want to wrap with uh, just a couple of questions about two of your clients, Carey Price, um, just a wonderful role model and, uh, you know, great career. And, and I love that recently was named the top goaltender by his peers, the NHL PA. Um, you know, there were people that were wondering about Carey Price because the team hasn't been very good. So the goaltenders, uh, numbers are going to be a little bit higher, but, um, you know, he seems like a guy that takes everything in stride. Yeah. I mean, I just, I carry, I have so much respect for him. I've known him since he was probably 15 years old. And I mean, he's just an awesome guy, Like he really is. And I can't imagine a tougher job in all of sports than being a goalie for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be right up there. And he handles it like, just the way he is. He's just, he's just, a, he's just so mature and so balanced and so rooted in his, his life that he's just, uh, he handles it. And it doesn't mean he doesn't get, you know, fired up some days, and, you know, like everybody, but boy, it's, uh, and Montreal has been great too to deal with. Actually, they've been they've been excellent, you know. But it's just it isn't an easy job, and uh, and he handles it, uh, you know, so well. Uh, and then you have a guy in Braden Point, and we've talked about him, and you know he's in uh, Tampa, and you know he, he's kind of not the opposite, but different than Carey Price, where he's not the face of uh, the franchise, but uh, so successful. Um, you know, my first memory of Braden Point was the 2012 WHL playoffs, where I think he had like a goal every second game or something like that as a 15 year old. And a bunch of them were game winners. And I remember Mike Vandenberg, uh, an assistant coach for the, uh, the warriors at the time telling me like, this guy is so good. If he wasn't wearing a face mask, you would have known. idea no idea. He was 15 years old and, um, you know, he slips. Uh, I, I, I think the, uh, the lightning did a good job, uh, scouting him and not telling anybody, uh, they could about him. But, uh, this is a guy who, you know, as a world junior was dominant and, and as a Tampa Bay lightning player and, and another example of you don't have to be drafted in the first round, isn't it? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And Brady just a, just a phenomenal 
guy and a player. Like he's another guy. He is a hockey savant. Like he plays hockey, and that's all he does, and it's impressive. Like he, you know. And on your comment about, I think I mentioned this to somebody in Tampa, or it might have been a, a similar situation on a different team, but it doesn't matter. But I, you know, I said, "Wow, great job scouting!" You know, getting Braden Point in the third round, and they, and the comment was basically that if I was so smart, I would have taken him in the first round. I wouldn't have waited to the third round, which is a great line, you know, because it just shows you the, you know, the sort of the, you know, everybody's sort of guessing. Even the smartest guy in the world is taking a guess because how competitive is Braden Point? How competitive is Carey Price? How competitive is Brandon Gallagher? You don't really know until you put him into the game, you know, at a different level. And, uh, but, but Braden, similarly to all of our players, they're really competitive guys. And they, they're not afraid to compete, and they they relish in it. And it's uh, and Braden is a perfect example. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a great point. Um, it, you know, it, why didn't Hawk and Anderson recommend all those guys for Detroit to go in the first round too? Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, right. It, it might even have been Ken. I think it might have been Ken Holland. It's one of those guys yeah. who said that if I was so smart, I would have taken him in the first round, not the eighth round. Somebody like that. But it's it's a really smart line. Yeah. That just was you know I get credit for being smart, but really. It might be just as much luck, but uh, but hey, they scouted the player, they took him where they took him, and if you get a guy like that, like I think Braden Point was unanimously the first overall pick that draft by the certain group of media. So you know it's a heck of a player, and that's why the draft is so important because you know just because you're a seventh round pick or a didn't get drafted or you know whatever, it doesn't mean that you know that's it for you. It just it just means that you know that's just your path, and you just got to accept it and keep playing. No doubt. Uh, Jerry, this has been a really fun conversation. Uh, when we're allowed to, uh, we'll get together and do this in person. But uh, for right now, uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, you know, hopefully hopefully something happens and we see some playoff hockey this year. Well, that sounds good, Dean. Thanks for having me on, and definitely we'll connect up when we can. sing a lot but he stopped when his dad yelled shut up this is the sports and more podcast with dean millard Cut the gas when his girlfriend yelled slow down cameron used to read but he closed the sleeve when his friend yelled hey There, that was a lot of fun. A good conversation with NHL agent Jerry Johansson of the Sports Corporation. We'll have one-timers uh, with Jerry where we get to know him a little bit more in a couple of days after this episode is released. So check that out at uh, sportsandmore.ca. I'm just always curious about the uh, uh, the, the, the goings-on of an agent and the relationship. And, uh, you know, it sounds like it's maybe... Um, a little exaggerated from Jerry Maguire as far as the competitiveness, but it is competitive for sure. And, um, you know, the, you always think, listen, you're, you're in contact with these, uh, GMs or management personnel so much, you're going to have arguments. You just can't take it personally. You know, there's been a lot of coaches that I've covered, uh, over the years in, in my media career that got really mad at me for different things. 
didn't affect my relationship long term with them. Uh, you know, I I had uh, you know just a different uh, arguments or disagreements with lots of guys uh, that I'm still in contact with and consider to be friends. So you just can't take it personally um, when something gets up. I mean. You know, Brian Burke has that legendary story that he told Guy Flaming and I on the Pipeline show about the Sedin trade that him and Rick Dudley were going back and forth and, uh, you know, they were swearing at each other and yelling and screaming and emotional. You just just have to persevere because you know you're going to have to deal with these people again, so you don't really want to burn a bridge there. So, all right, uh, before we go, let's get to the ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question, and it is, you are an NHL rookie defenseman. Choose your defense partner you've got bobby Orr, paul coffee nick lidstrom or larry robinson uh and you know i i just don't i don't think uh people realize how good larry robinson maybe was uh he was a backbone of those canadian dynasty teams uh, i mean like listen lafleur uh lemaire shut uh you know they're all dynamic but Larry Robinson um, was tough, scored double-digit goals a lot. Uh, he was really, really good. He's uh, on the uh, left side of the screen uh, against the Boston Bruins right now. Uh, if you're watching, you got the Blue Jays and the uh, Braves. Uh, good on Sportsnet. Uh, good on NHL.com. Uh, the uh, center ice package to be putting these old games on for us to have something to watch. TSN as well. Uh, they had the uh, Orioles, California Angels from 95. Uh, I, I bet you that's a no hitter from Nolan Ryan. I'm just I'm just guessing because uh, he had so many of them. Uh, so anyway, our poll question is: What defenseman would you take if you were a uh, NHL rookie and you could choose uh, Bobby Orr, Paul Coffey, Nick Lidstrom, or Larry Robinson? Right now, a dead heat. Literally, the voting just changed. Uh, just over a hundred votes. You have six days left. Vote at Duck Millard on Twitter. Bobby Orr, Nick Lidstrom. Both with 39. Oh, it just changed again. Uh, Nick Lidstrom with 39.6%. Bobby Orr, 38.6%. Paul Coffey bringing in 12.9%. And Big Bird, Larry Robinson, only at 8.9%. Uh, but as mentioned, he was dominant. So I, you know, I unfortunately didn't get to see Bobby Orr play, but I, I had an opportunity to sit in the very first row at uh, Northlands Coliseum, or I guess it was Rexall then, uh, for a Detroit Red Wing game. Uh, my wife and I had like first row seats. And to be able to watch Nick Lidstrom in his own end for two periods was it's one of the most enjoyable things I've ever had uh, the experience to watch, just to see how he controlled the game so effortlessly. It was amazing. Um, uh, so I would go with Nick Lidstrom, uh, but Paul Coffey would be a lot of fun. That's Charlie Huddy. Uh, he had a lot of fun playing. Uh, with Paul Coffey and uh, Big Bird Larry Larry Robinson, uh, he definitely uh, would be a, a protector out there. And who wouldn't want to play with Bobby Orr from uh, all the, you know, the guy who uh, revolutionized the rushing of a uh, blue liner. Uh, 46 goal season one year, only topped by Paul Coffey in the 80s with uh, 48. So have your vote at Duck Millard, Bobby Orr, Paul Coffey, Nick Lidstrom. Or Larry Robinson, who would you want to be partnered up with if you were starting your NHL career? And if you want to get in on the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports League, check it out at www.uffsports.com. You own the game. I, you know, and, and they're uh, sim, uh, si, uh, 
simulating, simming uh, some games uh, right now on their YouTube channel as well, uh, pitting some of the franchises. They've loaded them all up. Uh, so if you're uh, if you have a team or you want to check out the league, uh, it's really cool. It's going to be fun. It's really, really going to be uh, exploding over the next couple of years. Uh, uh, they're looking at other sports, possibly CFL, the Major League Baseball. Really, really, really cool. www.ufsports.com. And that'll wrap things up. Big thanks to Jerry Johansson for joining me and giving me an insight into um, what his players and his clients are thinking right now and uh, the uh, life and times of an NHL agent. I uh, hope you got some uh, entertainment out of that one. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and please leave us a review. Really important. Helps us um, make this show a lot better and uh, also improves our rating out there in the podcast world. If you'd like to be a part of the program as an advertiser, uh, please drop me an email at sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. All right, as we go, uh, we're going to hear the huge song from Sweet Bejesus, the official band of Sports and More, the podcast, Kevin Dabbs and Christian Gutzis make up Sweet Bejesus. Their debut album, Policeman's Creek, can be found on Apple Music. So thank you very much for joining us on the program today. Enjoy your week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay sane. More importantly, uh, playtime is over. All the things that grow up on the land Pick up with my huge hands I could wave to someone in Yucatan If I held up my two huge hands I could bury everyone in sand If I only had those two huge hands Maybe I could reach you then Maybe I could touch you again If I had Think of all the people I could meet If I only had two huge feet It would take me three steps to get to Crete With my two enormous feet Think of all the things I could crush beneath If I stamped my two huge feet I could reach you then Maybe I could please you again If I had huge feet and hands I've been away from you too long I hope that I could reach you with this huge song all of my lies I would think that I could eat 60 pies if I had two huge eyes I could see where we all go when we die 
If I had to eugize Maybe I could see you then Maybe you would love me again With my huge eyes, feet and hands I could break down emotional walls If I had two huge balls I could float myself down Niagara Falls Right on top of my huge balls I would give 14 curtain calls If I could show off my huge balls Maybe I could please you again Maybe you'd be impressed then With my balls Sam